Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comic books from the 1960s. Now, in our last episode, we were thrilled to interview the incredible Sam Humphreys. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff coming up on the podcast uh, as well. Today, we are going to be picking up the story thread into X-Men number 56. Basically, all you need to know as far as a recap is Cyclops has a little brother named Alex that he kept a secret from everybody. Turns out he's a mutant. He's a little scared of what his power might mean. And uh, true to form for everything in the next 50 years, he has a lot to whine about <laughs> as we get into it. He has been captured by uh, Ahmed Abdul, the living pharaoh, who uh, has taken them to Egypt. And then there's been a whole bunch of fighting. Uh, interestingly enough, in this particular issue, it's the third part of a storyline, but randomly, this is the first issue where uh, Neil Adams joins the franchise. So we have the legendary pencils of Neil Adams, finally. We just lost Neil this year, tragically. Uh, we will be talking a little bit about Neil and what makes him amazing a little bit later uh, in the podcast. But first, I am thrilled to welcome uh, two returning guests. Uh, Anas Abdulak and uh, Bob Quinn are with us. And I'm thrilled to uh, welcome the wonderful uh, creator, editor, inker, artist, uh, writer, uh, uh, Renee Winterstater. I want to, it's, it's Winterstater. I want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. Well, you probably are, but in Texas, we always pronounced it Winterstater. Winterstater. I will do better. I, I, uh, I think I always thought your, I think I always thought your name had an N in it. I think in my brain, it was always Winterstater till I wrote it a few times. And I'm like, oh, it's not. People try to put an H in it. And Michael Golden always calls me Baroness von Vieterstatter. So you're, <laughs> so you're okay. don't worry about it. So, uh, the whippersnapper. <laughs> Renee Whippersnapper. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, so let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns, where we may know you from, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, what you might be currently working on if you'd like to share. Let's go in the order of uh, Renee, Bob, and then Anas. Okay. Well, my name is Renee Witterstetter. I generally go by her or she or the person that you have to listen to when I'm giving you directions and you're working for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I, uh, I started out my comic book career as an assistant editor at DC Comics. I then moved over uh, as an ed assistant editor and then full editor at Marvel Comics and worked on She-Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos Quest. So I'm sure you you guys know those. And um, then I went over to Top, uh, Topps Comics for a while and I spearheaded a lot of their media books like X-Files and Jurassic Park and Xena and Hercules and uh, my own creator on books, Bart Nex, uh, with, with, on which Jackie Chan was a consultant. And I worked with Jackie a lot. Uh, and then I got out of comics completely for a long time and worked in film production. So some people may know me from my my time working on Jackie Chan movies and working with Brett Ratner on movies. And then I was pulled back into the comic book industry as an agent. And I've been doing that for some time now, um, working with Michael Golden, co-creator of Rogue from the X-Men and Arthur Sudam, who a lot of people know from, of course, from Marvel Zombies and all the great stuff that he's done. And I rep, um, I rep a lot of artists, voice actors and actors. So we can talk more about that later. And I also write books and put on gallery shows and I do a lot of fishing and salsa dancing. So that's that's me. 
<laughs> I I always like to share where I find people from, at least for this podcast. I've known your name for a long time, but I was rereading some She-Hulks and I saw those little cartoons of you and She-Hulk and I thought oh, it'd be fun to reach out to Renee. But after, oh, yeah. I booked, after I booked you, I like went and read through your resume and I was like, oh my God, she's like, she's done a lot of stuff over the years. I was really impressed. <laughs> Definition of Jill of all trades. Oh yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, and then let's go over to Bob next. Hi, Bob. Hi, uh, I'm Bob Quinn. Uh, I draw a lot of comic books. I'm I am a he, but I'm also a him. Um, and uh, yeah, you may know me from uh, currently running Knights of X. You might know me from Way of X. You might know me from Captain America, Champions, uh, Green Hornet meets the Spirit. Of the, I, it goes way back, you know, Red Sonia, <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of drawing. <laughs> You, all, you may also know Bob from one of my favorite episodes of this podcast where we got to, uh, you know, oh. analyze the thing trying to spank Jean Grey in a random battle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Bob, it's great to see you again. And then, uh, Anas, go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Anas. You may know me from Twitter, I guess. Uh, I'm a writer and poet. Um, my debut comic book, Eleutheromania, was released back in February, and my Next comic book, Etherus, should be coming out sometime next year on your local comic book shop, hopefully. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm also the co-host of the Geekable podcast, where we interview creators and just have a very geeky good time. And Anas was just on this pod a couple episodes ago, but he graciously, they, excuse me, they graciously stepped in to help uh, today after we had a guest that was unable to make it due to childcare issues. So Anas, thank you for coming back. It's great to see you. My pleasure. This this podcast is literally one of my favorites. So I just have so much fun every time I'm on here. We do tend to have a lot of smiling that happens here. So it's a good thing. Uh, And then lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am a formal Marvel comic book writer, uh, filmmaker, author, uh, currently a clinical social worker and father of two who podcasts uh, for sanity <laughs> in, my, in my little world here uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, so let's start out with, uh, with Renee. I know you have done some interviews on this uh, before, but let me just, uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with your journey a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your history as a comic book fan uh, and kind of leading into uh, what that meant for you breaking into the industry? Sure. Uh, you know, as with all stories, it's not really that linear. Um, but when I was growing up in Texas, uh, I was kind of an overweight child. Well, actually, I was uh, very overweight. And as anyone knows, um, when you're a little bit different, you can be subjected to a lot of bullying. And, you know, that did happen to me a lot when I was growing up. And I found that I reverted back in, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time on my own. And I learned, I read every book I could find. I read every um, comic book I could find. I really became, you know, very enamored of old movies. So that was something that I really got into. And I think I just developed very early on a a desire to draw, which I used to do a lot when I was younger. And also um, a real love of stories whether it was in book form or comic book form or movie form. And I would always just, even as a young kid, look at the plot and try to figure it out and see what they were doing and why they were doing it. And one time I have two older brothers and uh, I started like going into their room a lot, which they really hated. And I would like borrow all their books. I called it borrowing. They called it stealing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it started out with the Doc Savage books and, um, you know, these these old uh, magazines about all the horrible things that used to happen in the Old West. And they were incredibly gruesome. And <laughs> but I loved reading them. And uh, then one day I was going through their closet when they weren't home and I found uh, these comic books. And the first comic books I remembered were uh, the one where was the one where Spider-Man met Mary Jane that really stuck out in my head because I love the artwork and I love the storytelling and also these really bizarre Jerry Lewis comic books, <laughs> which later on I found out had been drawn by Neil Adams. And uh, of course, I met Neil much later on and, and you know, when I was when I was older and uh, but I loved those, too. And, uh, you know, just the sense of humor and the wackiness. And I just I loved reading all these books that I found in my brother's rooms. And, um, you know, it, it all went OK until, you know, one day one of my brothers started chasing me around the house with a pair of scissors and I had to hide in the bathroom and climb out the window. But did you, you know, did you steal his diary? <laughs> no, no, it's like I, that one, that particular one was because of the Doc Savage books. Um, because like, I think he got tired of me taking his books, although I always gave them back. And, uh, for some reason that particular day, he just decided he had had enough and, and I had to give all the books back. We get along now. It's okay. He hasn't chased me with scissors in a long time. <laughs> have, have you, when was the last time you took his Doc Savage books though? I mean, that's the real question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he kind of likes me now. Cause I give him all these cool comic books and, and, uh, you know, when I write a book, he always gets a copy of it. And when I go to shows, if, if there's a celebrity he likes, I'll get him an autograph. So, so we've made amends. <laughs> and then how did uh, this, this curiosity. When I was very young, that's how I got into comics. So you, you, you've clearly always had this kind of curiosity and fascination with storytelling and escapism and, and using, using these things. Uh, so as a, as an adult, how did that lead into you breaking into the industry? Yeah, like I said, everything, just one thing. I, I always knew I wanted to work in something that was creative. And I wrote a lot. Like I said, I used to draw when I was a kid. And my brother, the same one that tried to kill me with the scissors, <laughs> when I was in high school, he invited, he was in, he was, when I was in junior high, he was in high school. And I had been the editor of my junior high paper. And he was taking journalism classes at high school and they were having a journalism party. And he said, well, why don't you come to my journalism party? So he took me to first time he ever took me anywhere to his journalism party. And I met the high school journalism teacher. Her name was Connie Penny. And she was this larger than life individual with this just a, this infectious laugh. And you were immediately drawn to her. I mean, she just had this. Oh, man, just this great spirit about her. I mean, to give you some idea of her sense of humor, she named her daughter Precious. Precious Aww. Penny. Precious Penny, yes. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, she, was, she was an amazing woman, and she was like, well, why don't you come and work on the newspaper staff when you come to high school next year? So I did, and she just took me under her wing. And also between junior high and high school, I also lost about 60 pounds. I just decided, okay, I'm going to go on a diet and – you know, I'm going to you know, learn to eat properly because, you know, a lot of food at that time in Texas was really fried and gravy and all kinds of stuff that, you know, you find out as you get older, is it really good for you? Sure. And so I just decided to lose weight. So I went into high school and I looked different, but I didn't really feel any, any different on the inside. But a lot of the same kids that 
used to tease me when I was overweight. Now all of a sudden we're, you know, wanting to be my friend. And that was very confusing to me because I was still the same person that I was before. So I was, I was an incredibly shy person. And I found that being part of the journalism classes really brought me out of my shell because as a reporter, I had a job to do. And that job was to find out people's stories. And I loved writing feature articles. And that led to, um, you know, that led to me building self-confidence and, and learning who I was. And from there on, I, I was an editor at my college newspaper too. And my first job out of college, other than working for some small newspapers in the area, was that I was hired to work for a company in Dallas called Bulldog Productions. And Bulldog Productions used to put on all the conventions in Texas. And they were really the forerunner, the Dallas Fantasy Fair was theirs. And I really like to think that they were the forerunner of the modern day convention because they were the first ones really uh, routinely bringing in people like Stan Lee and um, Adam West and, you know, people from sci-fi TV shows like Billy Moomy and and, um, you know, people like uh, Miguel Ferrer from RoboCop. So, you know, they were bringing in these people and it was very accessible. You know, you just hang out with these people, you have dinner with them. You know, I sat in a bar and had really long conversations with George Takei and, you know, just adored him, you're talking to him. And so it was just this great experience with this show. And they no longer exist, but I really do think that they, like I said, were the forerunners of the modern uh, conventions as we know them now. Uh, and from there, I met tons of people, of course, that worked in the comic book industry. And because it was this very casual kind of event and everyone just hung out together, um, they started telling me when there were job openings in New York. And eventually, Actually, I was hired as an assistant editor at DC on the Superman books under Mike Carlin, who I learned a great deal from. And I was only at DC for a few years when I was offered a job at Marvel Comics. And that was, you know, the decision for me to leave DC and go to Marvel was because, oh, I don't know how to phrase this. To me, it just looked like at Marvel, they were just having a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, we just interviewed uh, Elliot Brown on the podcast recently and talked a lot about Mike Carlin and, oh, yeah. uh, and some of the work that was happening back then. And you came to Marvel at such an interesting time for right. representation and creativity. Uh, I mean, one of our one of our favorite books is is She Hulk, obviously. Uh, and also, I know you're a big fan of She Hulk. Oh yeah. Yes, I am. You know, a huge fan of the sensational She Hulk. Your you know the run that you worked on is defining for the character, and I just want, I was like interested to ask. How it, how it feels now that She-Hulk has like her own TV show and she's become this global phenomenon. Like, how does it feel to be part of that history? It's really surreal. Uh, you know, because of course, when we were doing those books, we would make our books, we put our little heart and soul into it and then we'd send them out into the world. And, and you know, sometimes you would do a show and fans would come up and tell you that they really loved your work. And I always tried to write very personal letter columns too and try to connect with my fans. But, you know, you never really knew how, you know, how much you're, how much these characters were loved. But in recent years, of course, we do. And to look at things like Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos Quest and things that are being made into these very successful movies, it's, it's really rewarding because back then we never 
thought that that this was going to happen because Marvel movies back then really weren't very good. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but they weren't. And uh, yeah, so it's like just just the things that have happened have just been so amazing. She-Hulk in particular was always one of my favorite books. I had such a good time working with Byrne on that on that series. And I actually never knew when he was going to put me in as a character. You know, that when he would draw me in on the cover or he would draw me in a character in the book, I never knew about it. It wasn't in the original script. And then all of a sudden I get the art pages and all of a sudden John has drawn me in there with this big palatial office with, with windows <laughs> and people bring coffee on a tray in the morning. And, oh man, I wish it was like that. When I was editing She-Hulk, I was in an office that we called the dungeon. And it was <laughs> on a totally separate floor from the rest of Marvel. And there were four of us down there. There was Kelly Corvisi, Hildy Mesnick, Marie Javins, and myself. And Marie and I shared um, shared an office. And nobody, and that's it. It was just this little cubicle of offices, no windows. And oh no one knew we were down there. We even had a pet rat for a while um, <laughs> named, named Leo. And she lived in our office. We had a little cage for her and we'd take her out and, and play with her during the day. But no one knew we had a pet rat. And, <laughs> and one day Tom DeFalco came down there and we're like, oh my God, Tom's coming. We better hide the rat. It was just <laughs> this, is a, this is a complete non sequitur. I have two children. Uh, my oldest is like living and breathing the legend of Zelda right now. And my youngest is living and breathing rats. Like. Oh. That is their favorite thing. Their room is decorated in rats. They're like everything is rats. It's it's kind of amazing. Uh, I um, they're incredibly smart, as you know, because they they survive out in the wild. But pet rats are extremely gentle and very sweet. The only problem is, is they only live about three years. Mm -hmm. I, I I got ferrets after that, and uh, they only live about seven. So I've had too much heartbreak for a while. I'm, I think next I'm I'm gonna get a dog. I don't know. My my yeah. kids have two rats currently, but we uh, we had to do funerals for the first two. It was like uh like tough parenting as they lost their pets. Uh, one of the reasons I love She-Hulk so much, uh, that run up on She-Hulk is a uh, burn put a lot of effort into using a ton of obscure villains and just giving oh, yeah. them room to breathe. Uh, and I'm the handbook writer. Like, like I love the obscure Marvel references. It's uh it was a it was a blast to read, and I go back to it quite frequently because I'm researching characters all the time. Well, well um, yeah, he really did. He really took characters that nobody else was using and just wrote really fun stories with them. I mean, Sprag the Living Hill, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> um, uh, Bob, you have had a chance to bring in uh, a lot of uh, disparate and underused characters into your recent run on Legion of X. Uh, Kylan has made their amazing return. Uh, I, I, oh my God. Uh, the, the, in, I, I just said Legion of X, Knights of X is what yeah. I, pardon me. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, Legion's and, really good too. Size Burger, he's killing it. That guy's it's, amazing. It's <laughs> great. It's great. But uh, in Legion of X, we're seeing this epic Arthurian quest uh, with, with a lot of characters that are getting a ton of love right now. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your work on the book. And I have to ask you about the iconic and incredible uh, kiss between uh, Rachel and Betsy that just took place, uh, which was so, so gorgeously done. Uh, Everybody was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so happy. Yeah, I mean, um, 
I, I'm going to be super duper honest with you. It's like my, my horrible, my horrible secret is, is that, you know, once you start drawing these things, you have way less time to read them. And I, I had never really, I think we've talked about this, but I had never had a chance to actually read Excalibur, uh, which, which everybody tells me that they love. And I like, yeah, yeah, no. So like, I, I ended up having to look up a bunch of old pages because, you know, we do make some reference to some of, some of those old stories. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this book is gorgeous. As soon as I stop working these 50 hour days i'm gonna actually read this book. <laughs> um but uh but yeah i mean it's 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 been great kylan's super fun like I, I love that he's sort of built like a like a like a masters of the universe action figure you know yeah, like, he's that, like a that thundercat yeah he's great he's he's like super fun he's super fun to draw um as far as that big kiss i mean yeah i mean, I, I don't know what there is to say we we had we had smooches butterflies everybody's having a good time i don't know it was fun i was i was uh, I was just, I've been very blessed and very lucky in my career to be sort of, you know, involved with like really cool writers doing really interesting stuff. And then for some reason, I'm the guy that gets to draw something really cool happening at the book, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's I, I've, I've been very, very lucky. I've not had the pleasure to meet Teeny Howard, but I'm a huge fan. So just for context for our listeners, um, we're covering the 60s stuff, so we won't get to these characters for a little while. But Psylocke is uh, Betsy Braddock, famous uh, purple-haired telepath character, a uh, longtime member of the X-Men. Uh, Rachel Summers, or Rachel Gray sometimes, uh, is the character Phoenix, the daughter of Cyclops and Jean Gray, who comes back from the future. And for decades, there have not only been hints that the two of them might be bisexual, although they've often been in relationships with men. Uh, we got to see the the two of them in gorgeous Bob Quinn pencils uh, finally uh, finally kiss after kind of months of hinting that there might be something building between them. It dawned on me more recently, however, and this would be funner in a longer conversation sometime, that like Betsy used to occupy the other Psylocke's body and also had sex with Cyclops, who is who is Rachel's dad. Like, <laughs> oh no. Those, there's there's some weird continuity stuff, but it's the X Men, so that always yeah. is present. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what is it if not a soap opera with lasers and everyone in their underpants? You know what I mean? It's... <laughs> <laughs> that is, you have a good point there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Austin, I miss any major uh, continuity. I don't know. In that family, that little tryst is funny. I I wish you hadn't brought that one up because I didn't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin them for me do a mind erase do a mind erase well, and i feel like i feel like rachel has flirted with brian who's captain britain a lot and that's betsy's twin brother right like i there's there's moments along the way but again it's x-men it's gonna it's gonna happen right both uh both cyclops and havoc uh have it in for madeline Pryor. like there's, there's yeah. a, a lot of crossover uh, put a bunch you, of beautiful people on an island together and expect them not to do kisses what are we talking about here come on with, <laughs> with an entire world of people watching it's the mojo verse <laughs> it's inside our windows uh renee you have uh you have an extensive amount of credits at marvel doing a lot of different things uh editorial and a lot of coloring that's not something i don't think i realized about you either uh do you tend to i don't know you've you've changed your career a lot over uh, what's uh, different time periods? It sounds like you've done a lot of different things. Do you tend to pursue things you're most passionate about? Do you tend to take opportunities as they arise? Well, that's a good question. Um, so the, the, I, I did want to follow up on one thing you asked me before, and then I'm going to ask that. It's really cool these days when I'm doing shows, how many little kids are coming dressed as She-Hulk. Yeah. It just like blows my mind. They're so adorable. So, and, and just like the interest in the character is, is so much fun right now. 
Yeah, yeah. Anytime somebody shows up in a cosplay of something that you worked on, it's it's always the it's best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so great. Love it. All right. So now to get back to your other question, um, why uh, being an editor at Marvel? I mean, a colorist at, at Marvel was kind of a necessity. Uh, when I worked at DC Comics, the pay for an assistant editor was about eighteen thousand a year in Manhattan, and even then, when I moved to New York, that wasn't a lot of money. Uh, so when I moved over to Marvel, they gave me a raise. I think as an assistant, I was making twenty four thousand a year. But to live in Manhattan, you had to do other work. So I was writing letter columns for other offices. I was I started doing coloring uh, because it paid. I think probably about $24 a page. And so I was an assistant editor by day and a colorist by night. So, you know, you work all day and you go home about six, you eat dinner, and then you, you color pages till about three in the morning. Mm. And a lot of times, some of those books I worked on, um, I would have to color a whole book overnight. Mm. So you learn color theory very quickly and you learn storytelling very quickly. And you learn how the story, how coloring is an element of storytelling. It's supposed to move the story along. Uh, it's supposed to be something you don't even notice if it's done if it's done effectively. You know, if this, if, a, if you have to stop and try to figure out what is going on in a story, then then the coloring hasn't really done its job. Sure. Um, so that's that's how I got into coloring, and I was not doing digital coloring. I never have. I was uh, hand painting the pages with Dr. Martin's dyes. So you go home, you have your little mixing tray, you mix all your little colors and you paint the pages. And then you had to label each color before it was sent to the separators. And uh, I had fun doing that, but uh, I was I, looking back on it. I was probably pretty sleep deprived, but all the assistant editors were because we were all doing as much freelance as we could. And I, I also started writing some stories. So I think in the beginning of my career, I like to give the analogy that doors opened and I walked through them, you know, opportunities were presented to me and I had to make the decision whether I was going to stay in the room I was in, or if I was going to take a chance and walk through that door and see what was on the other side. You know, I did it when I moved from, well, actually from my, when I moved from my hometown to Dallas and then Dallas to New York and then DC comics to Marvel comics and Marvel comics to tops comics. And then out of comics, completely into film production i mean each one has been a door that has opened you know things have aligned for that door to become unlocked and i look at those opportunities and say okay well i know it's in the room i'm in um maybe there's something really interesting on the other side of that door and maybe i should explore it so i've i've been you know pretty good about taking those chances and i have to say for the most part it's always been interesting. It's always been new. It's always made me think of new things and, and look at life differently and teach me something, uh, which I think is the journey for all of us is to continue to learn and to continue to evolve. Otherwise, I think um, we get kind of stagnant and we, we get a bit bored if we don't kind of push our own realities a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always like to remember one fortune cookie that I got, and I've, I've referenced this in a few interviews already, but it's it was vitally important to me at the time because I got this stupid little fortune cookie, and it said, it's better to have remorse than to have regret. It's better to have tried something and maybe not 
you know, succeeded, but at least you will never be sitting there thinking what could have happened if you had done it. And there are only two instances in my life where I didn't walk through the doors presented. And those are the two things that still haunt me to this day mm. because I don't know. I don't know what it would have led to. I don't know what would have happened. These other doors I know because I tried it. Right. There's that new movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, that shows all of our alternate selves out there in the worlds uh, that, that are beyond us. Uh, I do that. I'm a therapist. I work with clients frequently about the idea of what might have been had we taken a different path. Although I got to say, I'm jealous. I feel like the last 20 fortune cookies I've had all had nonsense <laughs> fortunes inside. We're like, what? This isn't a fortune. <laughs> Uh, Renee, what I'm hearing you say more than anything, though, is uh, if you're willing to do the work and participate in the hustle and you're good at it and you're reliable, you keep getting more work. And Bob, it seems like you're in that space in your career right now. You're really delving in. And when I got to interview you a few months ago, you were talking about how I do the work and I turn it in and I, I rush it and I hit the deadlines and people keep offering me more stuff. How are you doing with all that now as you're uh, you're describing these 50 hour days? Oh, yeah. I mean, so. I had a so I do have a problem in that I have a lot of trouble saying no to people, <laughs> which is what you know when you're working is sometimes okay, but also not good. And um, I, I'm, I'm hearing the subtext of that's why I'm on this podcast again, Chad. <laughs> yeah, buddy, I should have said no, no, that's fine. Uh, uh, but so I've actually taken a moment now to go, and I, for the first time in a while, I said to Marble, "Hey, just give me a minute," because <laughs> um, uh, you know I, I've been doing double duty basically for the last i don't know since oh, it's a, almost a year now where i was working on a marvel book at the same time as i was working on a uh currently unannounced graphic novel for another company i can't talk about yet <laughs> um and the problem was is that like i would do all of my marvel work so it was like i had to keep on that schedule and those schedules are pretty set in stone and then one night a week, I'd have to pencil the pages that I had to get done and get them approved by the other publisher, which usually led me to staying up until at least three in the morning working. And then I'd work my whole weekend inking everything that I'd done on that Thursday. Right. And it just I, I was just like a zombie. <laughs> and I'm only now starting to become human again. <laughs> um, so uh, and that has led me that did lead me to having to turn down a book that I when they told me about it I was so desperate to work on and so disappointed I had to say no to um but you know uh I'm not you know it's it's one of those things where if I say yes how long does my career end up being really like I don't, I don't want to kill myself doing this thing like this is this is the best job I've ever had it's the only job I've ever really loved and if if I just kill myself doing it, that's doing myself. And frankly, all of the readers are real disservice because I'm depriving them of my incredible work. <laughs> but, you know, anyway. Um, you know, when the so, pandemic yeah. when the pandemic started, I I work as a therapist, and more and more people were needing mental health services, and I started seeing more and more clients. And then we were homeschooling the kids, and oh, the yeah. money and the money was great. But what I found after about three months is I was like a shell. I oh, was yeah. grumpy and stretched thin and not sleeping. And I had to start saying, no, you have to at a particular point. Well, that's that's the thing, though, too. But like, as a therapist, you know that a lot of times in order to, for people to stop dealing with their feelings, they'll just work themselves. To oh, yeah, yeah. I, I am 100 percent like I work myself really hard as it is. But then like the pandemic hit and I've had like a couple of weird 
personal things happen over the last year. So like, I think I was also like sort of not wanting to deal with a lot of the feelings I was having. So I was just like, pile it on. I'm good. I'm just going to sit right here and keep working. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's super healthy. Don't recommend it to anybody. So we'll slow down. We'll working on some personal stuff. We'll, we'll bring in, bring in the joy of just making things back into the fold even you know which is not to say that like working on Knights of X was not fun obviously it was but when you're working on that and something else and thinking about the next thing and like it it starts to kind of be like okay I mean like this is a good job but maybe we don't so you know take a step back take a deep breath work but do it because you love it and next thing you know we're, we're, we're back to we're back to the to the job I love. <laughs> well, and then you have that realization of I'm a better parent when I'm physically healthy and when I'm mentally well, I'm a better therapist when I'm spiritually happy. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, Renee. Go ahead. It's OK. No, what I was no, it's, it's good to you know, so you, that's a valid point. Um, but I think also during the pandemic, I think a lot of us, because of the anxiety, we're grabbing anything that we could. You know, it's like work. Okay, good. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So let me yep. do this, this, and this. And for me, because I, I run a small publishing company, but I also rep all these people and all of our work disappeared overnight. Mm-hmm. So I immediately had to, um, I immediately had to regroup. I had to start doing digital stuff. I had to start doing Zoom events. I had to like, you know, start my happy you know, happy space pop site where, where my actors were, were doing things. Um, so it, it was just like totally reinventing ourselves in a very short period of time. And, you know, and you may have felt the same way that it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take these projects because we were feeling this anxiety that, that we just, whether we addressed it or not, that we mm-hmm. really had not experienced before. You know, some of the I a hundred percent was because like I, I was, I think when that started, I was probably on Captain America, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when like all the diamond slowdown happened. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, we're not putting out books right now. And I was like, okay, yeah. my, what's happening with my job? Yeah, it's like, what do we do? Uh-oh. Yeah. And like a couple, a couple people didn't stop working. And then like when something got offered to me, I was just like, I don't know if this is going to be lasting for a long time. So yeah, I'll just take it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I just kind of got in a rhythm of just working all the time on top of on top of feelings. <laughs> Already as freelancers, because even though I run my own company, I am, a, you know, I, I you're in the set. You, you run your own company, too. You're a freelancer. You run your own company. You are mm-hmm. your company. Uh, and if we're not careful, we do. All of us, it sounds like you, too, have the tendency to work all the time. Mm-hmm. Somebody, unless you set parameters, unless you decide, hey, I'm not going to work, yeah, you know, twelve hours a day. No, I because like I, earlier this year, uh, my wife and I sat down and we we're like, you know what, I haven't had a day off in about three years. Like I hadn't actually taken like a vacation or anything, right? Because like um, you know, you just kind of get into that like, if if I don't stay working, if I don't stay relevant is the work just going to dry up? Are they going to forget yeah. who I am? But you know, um, yeah. it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> the day off yesterday, I went fishing. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. I caught, I caught some alligator gar. They were huge. They were like, oh, I don't know. Probably like three feet. We, we've been, we've been, 
trekking all of the all of the state parks uh or in the area and seeing the many the many splendors of nature uh, and, and fighting off every single biting insect uh in the in in the north here <laughs> they love me insects love me all of a sudden they used to never bite me and i eat so much hot sauce i always said that's why that they they did not like the way that i you know because of i tasted because of all my hot sauce but apparently <laughs> now they are hot sauce lovers like yeah. leave me alone it's it's excruciating especially when i'm down in florida <laughs> in Texas and elsewhere they follow me oh so i wanted to answer one question that you asked me a while ago um oh and the, on the fishing i do catch and release but I, I carry like almost like a pocket fisherman with me when i'm at shows and if there's water i like go out there and <laughs> try to catch fish it's relaxing um so anyway i want to answer that question you asked a while ago about do i oh do I work on things that am I able to choose the things that I want to work on? Um, and I've actually been very lucky after I became a full editor at, at Marvel, that kind of was the case. I spearheaded a lot of projects like the Marvel holiday special and the Marvel summer special um, or the impossible man summer special, because I wanted to work with a lot of my friends who weren't, able to do maybe a monthly book, but they would do an eight page story for me. And so I ended up working on a lot of the anthology books, which I really loved and which I suggested a lot of those ideas. But I also um, was, I think, instrumental in, in getting Jurassic Park done as a comic book. Sure. And that's one that I read because I read the book and I said, this is would make a great comic book. Let's get the rights to this. And it wasn't until I moved over to Topps Comics that I was able to do that. And now books that I write, of course, I only write about things that I myself want to read. <laughs> so, and then I want to spend large segments of my life uh, researching. Uh, so the, you know, there are a few books that I've, I've written in recent history that I'm particularly proud of and happy of. And so, yeah, we're, um, it's nice to be in that position of saying, well, I want to write a book on this and then just doing it. Well, and, uh, Rena, you've done, you've done books and these are names people, uh, who are comic fans will know on Michael Golden and Mark Texiera. Uh, I was, when I was reviewing your resume, and this is a question I have to ask being, uh, being a queer themed podcast, you did music videos with Madonna and yeah. I was like, what? So I have, I have to hear this story. <laughs> Madonna was awesome. Uh, we did the beautiful stranger music video with her. Okay. And yeah. We filmed it at uh, universal studios in Los Angeles. And uh, she was just as, as nice as she could be. I mean, just incredibly gracious. Mike Myers was on set too. And uh he was, he, he was not as talkative or as in, you know, he, he wouldn't talk to the crew as much as Madonna did. But the thing I remember about Mike Myers is that he would just eat nothing but hot dogs. It's like, we, it's like every day. It's like, what do you want? It's just hot dogs. It's like, There's oh, a man after my own heart right yeah, there. I love hot dogs. And, you know, Madonna would like order, move, you know, Mexican food and stuff. And you know, share with folks. And she was, she was pretty cool. And that, that was a crazy video shoot though, because we had all these extras and they kept, we, we were right, we were right next door to the universal theme park. And there is a wall separating universal studios from the theme park, but we kept losing our extras because they kept finding a way through the fence. <laughs> and we're like sneaking on to the, to the theme park 
side and we're like going, where are all the extras? It's like, we got to film this scene. It was excruciating. (laughs) She was, she was very patient and I enjoyed working with her. I I thought she was very classy. God, you've had one heck of a career. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to have a beautiful stranger in my head all day now. Yeah, same. It's an iconic song. If anybody else wants to know how to sneak into Universal, my wife used to work for them, and we know all the secret back roads in, so you don't have to pay. Oh, Just send me a message, and I'll get you in. Oh, my God. Maybe, but you might also get in trouble, so, you know, (laughs) risk-reward. you got to weigh it out yourself. Oh, gosh. I had to track those those, those extras down through the Universal (laughs) Park. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Renee, you mentioned earlier, and I would love to uh, hear some of your thoughts. Uh, you met, you got to meet Neil Adams. Uh, tell us about Neil. Oh, Neil was just you know a bigger than life character. You know, he was. I, I I will not say that I knew Neil extremely well. I I knew him. He was a fixture at a lot of the comic book conventions for the last ten years, and he was. Always, you know, always engaging, always bigger than life, always, you know, giving advice to younger artists that were coming up. Some of them may not have wanted to hear his advice, but he was, you know, very blunt and, you know, very, um, very Neil. I mean, Neil was a very intelligent man and, of course, a very talented man. And I admired him greatly um, just because he was one of those people that came in and he changed the industry in a certain way when he did. And he um, he found a way, just much like uh, Madonna that we were just talking about, he found a way to constantly reinvent himself sure. over the decades. And that's one thing I respect about her and one thing I respect about Neil and you know, people that continue to grow and people that continue to stay relevant. And I think I think Neil did that. And you know, he was a force of nature until the last six months of his life and i mean who can say that you know it's like to live such an interesting life and to be that force of nature almost up until the end and when he passed away i honestly couldn't believe it because i just thought neil was just going to be around forever sure he had that force of will that internal drive whatever you want to call it that when he walked into a room, you knew it. You knew that somebody who was interesting had walked into the room and not everybody possesses that. I'm going to make a bold statement and say, this is the only podcast that's ever drawn a comparison between Neil Adams and Madonna. You might. <laughs> <laughs> people like that, you know, that in our industry and in movies and music, People that have renovated, you know, continue to grow and 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 reinvent themselves and 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 as artists. Of, I, I, I think you have to in order to stay relevant, as we're talking about, and in order to stay passionate. And and frankly, Renee, as you're sharing your story, you've done that in your own career. You've reinvented consistently, and you keep finding new areas. I like to think that about myself as well. I don't know that I'm always a great success at it, but I'm always pursuing things that I love. And it makes a huge difference in uh, my morale when I'm not doing that, when I'm not pursuing things, I tend to kind of go quiet inside, you know? Uh, So this podcast is the love for me over the last few years, uh, outside of the daily pressures of normal life. So whenever we see a new creator come in, I like to do just a little bit of a bio. And in the next couple episodes, I'm going to be doing little chunks of Neil Adams' bio. There's a lot of story to tell about him. There's, There's a reason he's so revolutionary. 
There was, uh, when, when Marvel Comics started, and again, it had been Timely and Atlas before that, we saw people like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko who were given a lot of free reign and they were incredible. They changed the game in a lot of ways, much like Simon and Schuster had changed the game before that or, uh, or Kane, right? Like there's a lot of names that are just incredible or indelible in the industry. But there was a number of years after that where people are all the artists who were working in advertising and working in romance and working in pulp and working in campaigns. They were, uh, they were kind of told to emulate Jack Kirby they were given pencils of pages and said, you know, draw this, trace over this, make it look right. like this. And a lot of the artists that we see are so good. We'll, we'll compare the first story to the backup story in today's issue as an example. But Jim Steranko, who we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit lately, and then Neil Adams were given more free reign to kind of do what they loved because they were good. They were amazing. And uh, Steranko did not stick around in comics very long. Adams did. Adams was around for a long, long time in the books. So Adams was born in 1941, which is three years before my mother. He just died this year, which means he was 81. Uh, he was a military kid born in New York. He graduated with an art degree from high school art focus in 1959 and started making comics in 1960. Now, the issue we're going to review today is 1969. So he would have been 28 years old at the time. He had nearly a decade of comics work prior to that, working at different companies and doing a lot of things, newspaper strips. He was at DC for a while. And he has always across his career been a huge and fierce advocate for the rights of creators. And I'm going to do some focused discussion about that in our next episode, uh, where we're going to talk about some of the work he did. He was often a controversial figure and companies did not always love working with him because he was such an advocate for you need to treat us better. You need to pay us better. Uh, we need to be uh, to, to have license to take care of our own things uh, and uh, and to have buy in and into what those profits look like when we're putting all of this this work in. And I know there was a number of creators back then and now who are still fighting for those same types of things. Um, the X-Men was ready to be canceled around this time. It had been kind of on the chopping block in the late 60s. And I think Roy Thomas kind of had the idea of let's bring Neil in and see what he can do. And we're going to see on page one in a few minutes. Uh, when it's introducing the creators, it says five star feature by Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas scripter, Tom Palmer, inker, Herb Cooper letterer, and introducing the penciling wizardry of Neil Adams. And he had a habit of trying to put readers into the action. He used angles and lighting and shadows to try to make you feel like you were in the middle of the page. And if you are looking through, you know, X-Men 55 versus X-Men 56, the art has a completely different feel. There's something powerful and magical about his pencils that really stand out. Now, of course, he has famous runs on Batman. He did the Kree Scroll War. He did Kill Raven. There's been a lot of stuff that he's been involved in over the years, but we're going to give a lot of love to him on this podcast over the next year or so as we're reviewing some of his pencils uh, and, uh, and delving into his career. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about his pencils in this issue, but anyone uh, want to add anything about the life of uh, Neil or thoughts on what I just had to say before we, uh, before we kind of transition a little bit? I was just going to mention too, that we just lost Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer just passed away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was such a nice man, such a true, true gentleman. Yeah. I was going to bring that up in just a second. We just got that news that Tom Palmer, who is the inker on this book has passed uh, and I'm going to give uh, a little bit of focused attention to Tom. We've done a brief bio of him in the past, but we're going to do some um, some conversations about him and his work uh, in our next episode as well. So now, always remember about Neil is and this is nothing about his artwork, but Neil had a uniform and he would always wear the same color shirt and the same color pants every day when he was at a show 
and I think elsewhere too. And I asked him one time about that. And apparently his whole closet was full of those shirts and those pants. That was his uniform, <laughs> like this blue shirt. So sort of like Einstein, he had he had his uniform. <laughs> my one less thing to think about. I love it. My mom's husband is nearly 90 and he has like 20 of the same brown shirt and brown pants like hanging in his closet. <laughs> he just rotates through. He wears the same thing every day. It's great. <laughs> I have to say that part did look good on Neil. It 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 was good with his eyes. It it was a good look. <laughs> <laughs> um uh Bob, anything you wanted to say about Neil? Uh I, I I have nothing to add. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, honestly, like when I was looking through this book, I, like I for for whatever reason I didn't read the the credits. And I was like, man, this is this is way different than the last one we just read through. And I went back to the front and I was like, oh, Neil Adams, there you go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the dynamic storytelling and yep. the the panels, the way he did panels. Yeah, there's something just like really energetic. really dynamic and really exciting about. Like, like every panel has, has just something special about it. It, it. It's really, this is really a gorgeous book. We're really hyping it up, but it's great. And so this is issue 56. Neil Adams remains on the book for the next 11 issues right up until its cancellation. And uh, again, we'll be talking a lot more about him as we move forward. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to give a special shout out to Tom Palmer, who I know is very beloved. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about his life in the next episode as well. We're losing a lot of really incredible creators this year. George Perez just passed. There's been a there's been a lot of tragedy for our comic book legends as we yeah. <laughs> as we enter. I don't know why I'm laughing as I say that. Uh, as we enter 2022, it's heavy. It's sad. Yeah, you, you, you laugh to keep from crying. I think. Hi, that's one. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bad year. I, I was gonna I was gonna point out a couple of things on the inking too because there's some really like gorgeous dry brush work in this that like i you know i i think up until this point you didn't see a ton of like it had a tendency to be you know at least to my mind when we were looking at the at those previous issues like very very clean very like but like this you know has has some interesting like breakup in the lines that maybe was not was not the look at the time that i was like oh look at that this is nice looking yeah i like the way that they did i i agree with you on the inking and you know just the the way that these pages were laid out, the storytelling was just mm-hmm. very. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think Tom and and Neil were a good team. I think I think they really complemented each other. One hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, with that, let's transition into today's issue. Thank you, uh, Renee and Bob, and I could ask each of you seventy five more questions, but thank you for for sharing <laughs> your stories with us. Uh, I, I'm feeling. Uh, every time I leave this podcast, I'm I'm feeling like smiling and inspired and curious, and I want to go look everything up. And I like just uh, thank you for for uh, sharing can with us. Can I give one plug? Yeah. Uh, anyone that's going to be in New York uh, for the New York Comic Con, October fifth, I am having a gallery show in conjunction with one of my new books. It's at the Francis Tavern Museum in New York. Francis Tavern is spelled with a U. So it's francistavernmuseum.org. And the gallery show is Wednesday night, October 5th, starts at 6. VIP dinner is afterwards, if anyone wants to do that. And we are celebrating 100 years of the uh, of monthly comic books. Um, because the first monthly comic book was published 100 years ago, and it was called Comics Weekly. I know a lot of people think it was The Yellow Kid in 1898, I think. But that was the first book that had comic book actually on the back cover 
but the first monthly comic book came out in 1922. Amazing. Uh, and, yeah, and our focus for the gallery show, since this is a historical museum connected with George Washington, it's where he had his last dinner with his troops after the Revolutionary War, we are actually focusing on um, George Washington and comic books. So it's called Cloaked Crusader, George Washington and Comics and Pop Culture, and we'll have books by Neil Adams there. We'll have original art by George Perez. We have original Michael Golden art, George Evans art, um, you know, just uh, Fred Fredericks, um, you know, uh, who was the artist on Mandrake the Magician, but did a lot of Revolutionary War stuff too and George Washington things. So it's, it, it's look it up on the website. It's actually going to be a lot of fun. Jim Shooter's going to be there and Michael Golden and Arthur Sudan. And they're going to have uh, Arthur and Michael have pieces in the gallery show too. So I just want to give that little plug because it's coming up really soon. And if you're in New York, it's going to be up uh, throughout 2023. And, um, you know, it's just a fun, fun thing celebrating what we do. You're a whole, you're a whole event planner. I love it. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what were you going to say? I was just saying that's incredible. Like I would love to be there. I would love oh, to be there. It's great to have you there. Oh, <laughs> it is, it is going to be up for a while if you, if you make it to New York. We just, uh, my husband and I just went to FlameCon in New York. I don't think we'll make it back uh, for uh, a few months at least. Uh, it's hard to get a time away. We had a great time. We had a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah. It was, I'm still smiling from it. I, I've only been home for three days. So the jet lag's almost worn off. <laughs> uh, okay, so with that, let's jump in today. So we've got, uh, got X-Men number 56 with the penciling wizardry of Neil Adams. Uh, as we're looking at this cover, we're seeing the X-Men... Uh, kind of dwarfed by this giant, creepy, goblin-looking guy with ashen black skin and energy pouring out of his eyes and mouth as he's gripping the X-Men logo. And uh, unfortunately, placement <laughs> between his legs, it says, what is the power? Uh, tell, me, <laughs> tell me your thoughts on this cover. Uh, it, it catches my eye. I think it's pretty gorgeous. Uh, what do you think about this? I love that it's interacting with the logo. That's something very unique and we don't really see that often back then. So I thought mm -hmm. I thought it was a very nice touch to have them grabbing the, the logo and just like interacting with it. It's very dynamic looking. Yeah. It gives dimension yeah. to the page. If I were to give one note, he should be cracking the X-Men logo. Ah, with the power. Because what is it? We don't know. Was, we're gonna find out. <laughs> I, I like the foreshortening. I mean, it's 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 a very well done cover. It's very eye-catching. Um you know, I, I agree with the interaction with the logo. I think that's pretty cool. Bob, how would you describe the living monolith's costume on this cover? <laughs> uh, shiny, unitard kind of thing with a, with a cool helmet, the coolest helmet. I'm not sure what's going on with those arm flaps. Uh, it's, mm. it's unique. It's this looks like this looks like something Madonna could have worn in her beautiful stranger. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> is the question that looks very familiar. <laughs> uh, okay, so ladies of gorgeous wrestling vibes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, will you take us through the first five pages? Tell us kind of what happens. Uh, some of your thoughts on it, then we'll discuss. My pleasure. Uh, so we start off this issue, which is, which is known what is the power. Uh, which is just like we, we pick up right off where we left off the issue 55, where they just, <clears throat> sorry, the X-Men just discovered that Alex Summers is a mutant and they're taking uh, the living Pharaoh as prisoner. They have this neat ship that came out of nowhere with no explanation because 
because they just crashed in, in the desert last issue. And we don't know uh, where the ship in the last issue came from either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Continuity. I think uh, Angel's buying them with his allowance and having them shipped. <laughs> <laughs> One day shipping Amazon. Don't you think Jean's gr- Jean Grey's hair would be like flowing in the wind? I mean, they're going pretty fast and it's just like she's still got this perfect hairdo. Uh, fair, you know, fair. the magic of gel. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> He's telekinetically keeping her hair down. <laughs> a lot of Aquanet. A lot, lot of Aquanet. Aquanet yeah. like... <laughs> um, so as they ride in their ship and Angel flies above, they notice that there's an excavation coming, to, uh, coming down below. And that's where they want to descend and see if they can turn their captive over to the authorities. As they land, first of all, these, these pencils and inks are gorgeous. I immediately noted uh, like the difference and the shift in style between the last issue and this one. It's astounding and it's beautiful. Look at that uh, background. The, uh, the yes, car we actually have cars. backgrounds now. Yeah. I love the background. I love it. Um, yeah, the living pharaoh is you know taking taken prisoner, and of course he calls the X Men infidels, which is his go to uh, slur basically. Take, take uh, a shot every time they say the word infidel. Oh, oh man, dogs them too. I got I got pages to do today, guy. I can't. <laughs> um, so they decide to look for help, and the wing takes uh, Angel takes to the skies, while Marvel Girl sees what she can see behind those dunes. At this moment, Alex goes in a very classic "Woe is me" style, and he goes, "And me, Cyclops? What about Alex Summers?" Referring to himself in third person. That was weird. He- <laughs> the all-american shock treatment the walking earthquake which i thought was very like a very apt description of alex hey, renee witterstatter no that's so weird who talks that way <laughs> um cyclops tries to calm alex down uh, trying to tell him that we're going to figure out his mutant power at this point uh the living pharaoh jumps in saying that he knows something about a secret that you know about his powers and we this is going to be revealed later on uh stan jumps in with a little edit that says we're gonna you know we picked up on alex being a mutant in the last issue and at this point uh angel marks that this is a ghost and there's nobody around and gene in the next page has a beautiful panel which she looks very very different than what we're used to her and she knows she gets like a spider sense and she calls everyone to duck and at this point where so, uh, so maybe it's a duck so maybe it's a duck sense <laughs> it's a great yeah. sense no but before the phoenix force you get the duck force <laughs> <laughs> um the cultists that follow the living pharaoh shoot out from inside the tomb and they attack the x-men who all fall to the ground but they're only stunned for a second and Cyclops is the first to rise and he begins to shoot his laser beams at the cultists, at which point one of their flying gliders funks uh, Cyclops in the head and we get another infidel. So have another shot if you're drinking. It just shook, it just fucking like knocks him on the back of the head, man. Like yeah. it would split you open. I, I, I could not personally get up from that. That does not yeah. look, that's, that's going to leave a bruise. It's a sound effect. I don't see that often. Kawunk. Kawunk. <laughs> um, Beast jumps up on this flying glider, taking down the cultist, throwing him off the glider and hitting him with another person. And the living pharaoh calls him a desert swine. 
and he tells his cultists to only focus on Alex Summers because he's of only he's the only one of concern. Uh, Cyclops note, uh, sorry, Beast notes that this is interesting that they're still after Alex even now, and wonders what possible connection there could be. Um, the one of the cultists shoots Beast with a blast, and he falls to the ground. At which point they try to kidnap uh, Alex Summers. And they're trying to go really as fast as I can while the X-Men are still lying on the ground in the background. At this point, Iceman wakes up and he <laughs> he's gonna, he says a really funny line. He says, and here's where the Iceman yeah. makes you holler and call. <laughs> uh, what? So, so, so like the weapon that the living Pharaoh has is, is like oh. in the symbol of the Ankh, A-N-K-H. And yeah. Bobby, Bobby goes, here's where the Iceman makes you holler Ankh. I love a dad well, joke, but that one made me gross oh, that, that, out loud. Yeah, no, that one. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm speechless. So, uh, having his onk destroyed last issue, he somehow is still able to zap and uh, destroy the battering ram that Iceman was creating with his uh, with his powers. And at the last panel, this is where uh, Angel begins to wake up, and this is as they're zooming away, flying on another ship that came out of nowhere. And they're going to make up for it. And the, and the chase begins between Angel and the Living Pharaoh. So I've got to talk briefly. We're going to do a lot of Havoc focus on the podcast in this next few months. But Havoc, uh, or Alex, he hasn't got his code name yet here. He uh, he is, you're setting up his entire personality in one panel speech here on page two. He says, uh, and me, Cyclops, what about Alex Summers, the all-American shock treatment, the walking earthquake, who can't even shake hands for fear he'll kill somebody? The uh, the comparison he has between he and Scott, him establishing himself as like the good-looking all-American guy who has this power he can't control, or if he ever lets it go, he's going to destroy everyone. Like, this is his character, feeling sorry for himself, but also like having a ton of privilege uh, we're gonna again. We're gonna talk about this guy, but this panel really sets him up for me. Do you guys have any thoughts about Alex? Are you guys Havoc fans? Oh, I don't know. That first, that first thing from him about what about me made me immediately think he was kind of whiny. I don't know. He is <laughs> very whiny, he is. and for good reason. He's really had a rough go. Yeah, um, like, oh. but again, anybody that's speaking in the third person, we we have to be suspect immediately. Yeah. I mean, Bob, he fell out of a plane. Like, give him a break here. <laughs> His childhood started off by him falling off out of a plane. Oh, and and that's what knocked the third person into him. Is that is that what you're trying to argue here? I don't know. I'm just person <laughs> now. He has a he has a lot of stories over the years about having a dark side and what happens if he ever unleashes his powers and then he always tries to redeem or or reinvent himself. I, I mean, again, we're gonna do a whole trial of of Alex in a few weeks here, uh, and I I reread his entire publication history and I really love this character. But you know, Scott Summers' kid brother uh, is is a great way to sum him up in just four words. He's uh he's got a lot of angst. I I do like him though. I think he's a I think he's a great Look, character. You got to start somewhere, and he has to be have a place to evolve from. Yeah. You know, this the character has to change over time if it's done properly. So this is his starting place. Yeah. Renee, I'm so sorry to break it to you. He has not changed. It's, no, been, it's been 80 years. I was trying to give him the benefit of a doubt because you gave me the whole falling out of the plane story. Like if you read an X-Men issue with Havoc in it right now in 20. 20- 
2022. He is still the same all-American whiner. So. Oh, oh man. gosh. Well, whatever then. <laughs> but he's I been, do like him a lot. He's been concussed for 80 I'm years. trying to help him. <laughs> He's also he's also been messed with by Mr. Sinister a lot, which we'll get to in a future episode. Uh, uh, by the way, for for uh, we'll reveal this now. There's there's future continuity that shows that Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister have messed with the living Pharaoh and Havoc in years past and connected their powers. So we're going to see this in a minute. But if Havoc is accessing his powers, it's reducing the living Pharaoh's ability to access his own. And it's only by blocking or killing Alex that he can access his entire power. Uh, so future writers will go back and explain that that's Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse doing that. Um, Bob, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on the pencils on these first few pages. Man, so the every, every page is just killing it here. First one, we've got spaceships flying into... Uh, ancient pharaoh's tombs with the angel flying over dramatically we've got th this first panel on page two here where the living pharaoh is standing crossing massively into the second panel like and and then the, the intensity of his face here in panel three gorgeous every single one we got laser blast flying all over the place we got again we have kawonks on the back of the head like i i, I don't even know what to say about this like every panel is, is literally leaping from the very pages of my iPad. <laughs> it's so pretty. It really is amazing. And I just want to point out too that, well, Neil was a master of these, these figures that would like span several different uh, panels uh, and still making it work. Not, not everybody did. But I also want to point out that the coloring is is doing its job too on, on mm -hmm. I think, uh, most of the time here because you don't even really notice it and it moves the story along. You and know, we don't even know who's coloring. They don't even list the colors back then. Wow, well, they don't? That's too mm -hmm. bad. Because they really did a nice job on this as far as, you know, the moving the story along and using colors that were effective. You're right. Yeah, yeah the colors and backgrounds are beautiful. Someone is mm -hmm. in their apartment in 1969 working after hours till 3 a.m. <laughs> to get an extra paycheck. <laughs> well, it could have been Neil's wife at the time. Um, who knows? Corey Adams did a lot of Neil's coloring. but Fantastic. You know, I don't know for sure if she if it was her or not. Uh, Renee, would you take us through the next five pages? Sure. Let's see. Did we leave off with the Kawank? Yep. Or we left uh, we left off with Angel lying on the ground. All so right. uh, page five, if you'll take us on to six. Sure. I love page six. I love the coloring on that. You know, and just the, the story, you know, the storytelling that's happening there. Um, and well, let me look at this. Just some of the dialogue that there's duck again. They they really are fixated on on ducks in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be a sitting duck. They may have my goose. I'm surprised they didn't add that. That would have been the next line. Um, <laughs> I just made that up. It's not really. That's where the editor comes in and just like says enough enough of the references. Enough about oh, wait, wait, we have a gassed gosling. That's a baby goose. I mean, that's like, oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, guys, we get it. The guy has wings. We get it. We <laughs> He's get as groggy it. as a gassed gosling. That's, yeah, that's a line. <laughs> yeah. But at least he's teaching new vocabulary to people reading the book. <laughs> this loud mouth just won't start, won't stop crowing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. He's a real dodo. Um, <laughs> We could go on and on. Uh, at least he's no chicken. All right. So then he's he's he like gets blast. He's like they start shooting missiles at him, and he falls from the sky. 
Oh gosh, what am I missing here? Oh, while down below, something is happening to Jean. Oh, she took the full brunt of the blast. Okay. She got knocked out. I love this panel of like Cyclops affectionately stroking her cheek, or, like her lips, yes. her eyelashes. Mm. She's gorgeous here. Yeah. It's a beautiful panel. It is. Like, I mean, whatever whatever eyelashes she's wearing, they're they're doing the double job. Yeah, yeah. Those are gorgeous. they're not coming off. <laughs> yeah, she she has those on with super glue. <laughs> Okay. speak to me okay yeah just I, I this this next panel just cracks me up because it just like who fights crime in a dress i mean it's i mean she looks awesome and i love the boots i mean it's i would i would wear boots like that but it just seems like really you know not real good if you're getting knocked out and fighting and having to kick people and stuff just saying i wouldn't pick a dress um <laughs> let's see Oh, and I love this whole panel at the bottom where she's she's like tracking them, you know, trying to find out where they are. Yeah, this, like, even we can't explain what she does. That whole psychic sequence is really awesome. Like yeah. it, it, crazy stuff going on. It's my yeah. favorite panel. It's my favorite panel in the whole book, which is saying something. We get this image of Jean sitting and she's surrounded by like pink telekinetic images of herself. Her eyes are giant. Uh, like close-ups of her mask, her face, they, it just kind of spans. It's beautiful. Uh, it, it's reminiscent of Psylocke in a lot of ways, too. And some of the effects that are used here, the color, it's pretty. It's really great. Yeah, I really like that panel a lot. And, yeah, just the mystery of it. It's like, you know, even we cannot figure out, you know, it's like too, too, uh, you know, we can't even explain it. Can't even show you. So that was pretty cool. All right, let's go see what's going on. Okay, so she finds them. There's a random camel in the picture. <laughs> Beautifully rendered, though. You, I mean, you can't take that away from anybody. <laughs> that was a gorgeous camel. Random camel. So at Angel has pursued the living pharaoh's ship across the desert and finds an, a replica of their base. There's another pyramid with another base in the bottom that they're fleeing to. Yeah. Which looks which looks a lot like Abu Simbel in Egypt, but apparently it's not. <laughs> I'm reading it again here as we go along. Yeah, I just love the coloring again on this. Very effectively done with this this character that's in the foreground in the shadow and using that green, and then the highlights, uh, you know, to differentiate. I just I really love the coloring on that. I would not. I don't know if I would have thought to use the green like that. So I, I really like that. Poor Alex is still helpless as they strap him to a table. Can I? Uh, can I interject and read the Living Pharaoh's speech here really quickly? Oh, sure, oh dude, it's great. He yeah. says. Uh, he says, "You gaze up in sullen silence, Alex Summers. It is good, and how fitting that you should meet your rightful end here amidst the rediscovered glory of the kings who were and those who yet shall be." But I speak of things which concern you not, for I decreed you should learn of the power in the hour you perish. And in and that moment draws ever nearer. I was an archaeologist, but I am also a mutant. Yet you and I are both different from the masked ones, for our destinies are inextric inextricably linked. That's a hard word for some reason. <laughs> can, you, can you not feel them, infidel? So take a shot. 
The celestial chains which bind our two fates as one, the same mutant instinct which led me to you, tells me that it is cosmic rays which give each of us the power. As yours begins to awaken, mine did wane. You are the sole threat to my supremacy. And so you must die. And he slams the chamber closed. It's That's quite, a lot of talking. <laughs> quite dramatic. But we finally get like uh, like what this guy is up to, like what his plan is. We, it's been building for three issues and we finally realize what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we needed that. Catch us up on what's really going on in this guy's mind. Yeah. Oh, that that page though where he's got him inside of his inside of the glass coffin or whatever and then like that real that real dramatic upshot is he's like i was an archaeologist it's, i don't know this page is great too I, i'm like yeah, i really really enjoyed this book yeah me too the the storytelling is really dynamic you know it's it's definitely great neil adams storytelling here yeah or that, uh, that that image on page nine at the bottom where we get like the under chin shot of the living pharaoh too. Yeah. It's, he's so scary. Like it's great. That is that, uh, as a guy who does this professionally, that is not an easy angle of, of the face to go to the, the 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 super low straight up their nose thing. It's it's so effectively like rendered here, and like the 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 one thing he's doing a super good job of is like is like that super like that super high contrast like I I don't I wouldn't necessarily call it like a chiaroscuro kind of thing but like he uses real dramatic shadows and then the colorist as you mentioned previously puts like a real bright white like doesn't even color his face in certain areas here and then uses just a little bit of yellow to sort of underlight like the uh, the eyes and the mouth and then uses like the real sort of weird dark, I guess it's sort of a purplish color there I don't know and, yeah. and then like all the real uh intense red background I don't know it's it's really really great fair it, it, it gets the storytelling across you know this is a menacing person mm -hmm. this person is probably not sane um you know this is someone to be fearful of I mean it's it's like everything about this page conveys that you know mm -hmm. from top to bottom. You know, everyone that worked on this page did their job. And then, uh, Bob, will you uh, close out the story for us? Tell us how the Certainly. story ends. Yeah, so, so as you mentioned, he slams the top of the coffin down on him and says, now you must die. And at this point, he begins absorbing all of the powers of the cosmic rays into his body. And we have this really crazy sequence where it's like we see his body sort of sort of lit from the sides and then like the the weird sort of undulating powers go into his body and then like he's gripping his head because he no longer has to share the powers with alex he gets to have them all and now he alone has the power whatever the power is these cosmic <laughs> rays right so meanwhile we're going back outside it's, and like, Man, it's he man by the power of grace skull i have yeah absolutely yeah, kind of what it's like yeah so like Angel comes out. He's like, "It's a mess in there, you guys. I'm out. <laughs> it's, it's too much." So uh, he's like, "Maybe we should. Maybe we should leave. We should get back before it's too late." And he's like, "Hang, hey, man. Look, we got to get back in there. This is a, or, or actually, I think everybody's like, basically, we're leaving. But at that point, it's too late because at that point, this giant beast bursts out of uh, bursts out of the uh, of the Egyptian tomb here with a giant thum, which is in." Incredible, yeah, the bursting forth from the earth and massive stone. And it, it's just like, it's that giant monster thing from the cover with a couple of really great panels with the huge hand reaching out for uh, for the angel and everybody in the foreground are going, oh crap, this is a big problem. Followed up by him being grabbed. I love this panel of, of, of uh, 
him announcing that he is now the living monolith and hanging on to uh to the angel is so good it's so uh, so good a monolith is basically just another word for monument right so he's grown to like 40 foot size he's fucking yeah. crashed into the ceiling and now he's the living monolith uh yeah this, this is a great villain as long yeah. as you use him in the right ways with, with I, I could have said, hey, your older name was better, dude. You should have just kept your older name. <laughs> yeah, because like, what does a monolith do? Kind of stands there. But this is not this is not a monolith that stands. This is a monolith that grabs people and is uh, promptly shot in the face by uh, by Cyclops. But jokes on Cyclops, it was just surprising. It's not actually hurting him. So <laughs> he immediately starts blasting lasers at people and, and announcing that these X-Men will be the victim, the first victim. Of the living monolith uh but then he's in and ensconced in some sort of invisible barrier what is it created by you guessed it gene gray but guess what the these this is straining her powers too much and she's already starting to feel a great strain and uh this, i loved this line here my tender tootsies will ache for a fortnight <laughs> as kicks the living monolith in the in the ankles Where was that? I was, I keep trying to find it, but there was one line where I had to actually look up what the word was. Um, and anyway, we'll, 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 we'll move on from that. So anyway, beast knocks the living monolith to the ground. And he falls down in the perfect place to grab Jean gray, which uh, is probably uh. not the best planning on his part. <clears throat> so at that point we cut back to Alex, who is, is still inside of his little glass coffin. And uh, he's, he's like, man, uh, I got, I got to get these powers back. Um, Cause uh, he's inside of this fishbowl and he super duper doesn't like it. <laughs> um, something sure zapped the feral a few hours ago. Yeah, that's right. Okay. What else happens here? Uh, Page 14 yeah. at the top. There's that gorgeous image of his eye. Like, yeah, there we go. He's like, he's like willfully channeling or, or yeah, some, or something is happening, energy. right? Yeah. He's getting the cosmic rays back. And like, there's, there's a, there's a ex literally an explosion in his iris and electricity uh, shooting from his eyes, which is so great. So yeah. then we cut back to the battle. The living monolith has got Jean Grey and everything's going wrong for the X-Mans. But uh, guess what? He's he's been uh, meanwhile back back in that glass coffin. Those cosmic rays are being absorbed by uh, by Alex, and as we know, they share their powers. So as Alex Alex's powers grow, the living monolith his powers wane, and he starts to crumble. <laughs> <laughs> and then he falls to the ground. Uh, and and you know, obviously uh, Scott, being a good brother, is like my brother. Oh no. Um, but then he, uh, they, they, they see that Alex is coming out of, of the, uh, the, the crumbled, uh, Pharaoh's tomb, but he's got a problem. He can't control his power. <laughs> and the next disaster, I said, uh -oh. guess what a bunch, uh, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. It was super great. The, it, Cause at one point the, the, uh, the Pharaoh referred to people as, as like, a, a very specific term for like Egyptian peasants or something. I don't know. Uh, it, it was yeah, super or weird. Or something like that. I remember that. Yeah. I, I remember reading it and I was like, what is, I, what is even that word? <laughs> uh, you, you know, Bob, if this uh, comic book art thing doesn't work out for you, you got a great career in voice acting. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
this was this this was super fun though. Roy Roy Thomas is the writer on this, right? Roy. Yeah, yeah. Roy Roy uh, Roy was the editor for a long time, but he just just took over the writing again, and he'll stick with it through to the end. And Roy's still writing X Men. He just put out X Men Legends number one, uh, written by Roy, set in this era. It's great. Uh, I would like to point out or posit. Uh, we don't know where the X-Men got their ship, right? But we also yeah. see we also see the living pharaoh change into the living monolith. So he was either wearing this metal onesie underneath his robes or he like quickly changed off panel or is this like a result of his power? Like when he transforms, he gets like a metal bikini. <laughs> <laughs> just magically appears. Where, where did the metal onesie come from? I was wondering that myself. I think he had it on <laughs> under his robes because he's like, this will look awesome if I'm a giant. <laughs> he's got a lot of layers on, you know, and I mean, maybe maybe that was the only... Maybe he's not... Oh, never mind. I don't want to... <laughs> Well, well, and and the gonna, I, okay, look, I was gonna make a Mormon joke, and I don't, I don't want to insult anybody. Because <laughs> like, don't no Mormons have those magic underwear? The magic underwear does yeah. not grow in yeah. size with you, however. No, they <laughs> okay. have underwear. Okay. Yeah, learn something new. Oh, this was this was relatively epic. I'm gonna cover the last five page story really quickly, and uh, they've been running this like five page backup of the X Men doing prequels for a long time in the books. This is basically the last one. Next issue, we get a five-page story about how Jean uses her powers. That was written by Linda Fight, who I had the honor of uh, interviewing on the podcast uh, several months ago. So go back and look at that if you haven't. But this is the final backup story. Uh, we've been building with these for a long time. And boy, is it a mediocre story to finish with. <laughs> so we've seen, uh, we've seen Angel, before he joined the X-Men, trying to... Uh, trying to launch his own crime fighting career as the Avenging Angel. He beat up some guys with uh, an atomic power thing and that he grabbed and went back home. And it appears that he inhaled some of his own gas from his own gas gun. And he is uh, now like releasing his dark side. So canonically, I think this might be the first appearance of Archangel. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll recount this quickly. So this is a Roy Thomas Werner Roth story, Sam Granger's on inks. And, uh, we see Cyclops and Iceman pre-X-Men number one. So they're back in their original costumes, which means Bobby's back as a lumpy snowman. Uh, they have gone to recruit the angel. He immediately attacks them because he doesn't know who these guys are. Uh, they're trying to get him, but it's not really working out very well. There's a couple of uncomfortable innuendos. And I apologize in advance if there's people who are not a fan of innuendo. But there's a moment where Angel says, uh, I don't mind getting my fist chilly for a second in order to polish you off which is Iceman's greatest fantasy with Angel always. <laughs> He's had a crush on him all through their teenage years. Uh, Cyclops blasts the roof and uh, some plaster falls down on a couple sleeping in bed. Uh, <laughs> Fred and Alma are down there. They are very upset that these teenagers are throwing a party. Um, uh, Angel triumphs over Iceman, knocks him out, and Professor X, who's still far away, sends out his like little thought waves. It's a... Uh, it's green letters that float in the sky and like green tinged thought bubbles, which I don't think has ever been used for Xavier for or since that I'm aware of. But he basically says, I've, I've just probed you, Angel, against your consent. <laughs> and I've realized that this atomic device that you're carrying is a nuclear explosive that's been activated by your body. And it tells him in a second, you also inhaled your own gas, which is making you evil. And uh, Angel has no choice but to fly into the sky uh, he passes a plane where a couple pilots uh, say, good gravy, if that wasn't a flying man, I'm ready for Senior Citizen City. And uh, it's, just, it's really silly and really rushed. He flies up into the upper atmosphere, uh, pulls the lid off the atomic device, and it dispels. And then he 
nearly crashes down to earth, but saves himself at the last second. Uh, when he finally lands, he realizes the X-Men are his friends. He is recruited. I think Xavier, uh, Angel's the least powerful of the original team. I think Xavier brought this guy in because he's a billionaire and wants access to the Worthington family funds. Yeah. Uh, How else are going to get these magic spaceships, man? <laughs> spaceship they had. That was pretty I mean, cool. Xavier's got plenty of money, too. Uh, but they, Xavier shakes Angel's hands and uh, Cyclops whisper, whispers to Bobby, uh, with or without gas, he's still got an ego, which is such a weird thing to say. And Bobby whispers back, who cares as long as he doesn't molt? And there's the very meh story about how Angel joins the X-Men. We get one more bird joke before we're done. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts from the three of you on this uh, on this final five-page story? Uh, yeah, that's how I felt, meh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's I a little say, underwhelming. I need more bird jokes. There were not enough bird jokes. Yeah, <laughs> one. I will say they did Angel a huge disservice by giving him <clears throat> his like issue number one costume instead of his red costume that he already designed because this costume is incredible. I do like the costume. This is where we first see his halo on the center, which is something used in a lot of his future costumes. I like this costume. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I do like Warner Roth's pencils here. It's like very clean. Uh, it's just a very rushed, almost like meh story. Uh, Bob, did you have any thoughts on the art? I, yeah, I mean, the, the the trouble is, is that you've just gone through 15 pages of Neil Adams absolutely killing it. And then you kind of get this and it, it like, it has like, um, it, I, I want to, I guess like maybe a, like a nostalgic quality to it. Like it feels older, you know, like uh, the, the, like the level of, of, maybe technical craftsmanship isn't there or like, like the level of dynamicism isn't quite as good. Um, I mean, it, it's still, it's still fine, finely drawn, but like the, everything leading up to this has been so dynamic and so huge and so jumping off the page that like, we are like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. I would much rather have five more pages of Neil Adams at the end. Yeah, which, exactly. Uh, which is something I, we get shortly. I would imagine 15 pages of Neil Adams takes a minute. <laughs> Uh, so as we are wrapping up, let me just say what a lovely time I've had with all of you today. It's so great to see uh, Bob and Anas again. And, and Renee, what a joy to get to know you and hear you share uh, your wealth of experience. I hope you all had fun as well. Uh, as we are wrapping up, let's hear from each of you where you can be found online if people would like to find you. And again, recognizing this episode's coming out on, uh, on September 14th, is there anything you're able to talk about that you'd like to plug as far as where we can find your work and what is going on? You can find uh, Gray Malkin Lane under Gray Malkin PP, like podcast on Twitter or Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. We're regularly uh, putting out fun content. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to take a break from the X-Men run and uh, review Iceman's origin stories uh, from a, uh, a book that was in, done in the early 2000s. But we have an incredible cast. Uh, uh, Luciano Vecchio is coming on the podcast for the first time. And we've got Josh Trujillo and Terry Blass coming back. Uh, so we get to have four queers talking about the queer X-Men and we're going to have a great time. After that, we've got uh, Tom Brevoort coming on and so much incredible stuff uh, coming your way in the next few months. Uh, we're also putting out uh, Patreon episodes featured uh, featuring solo characters. Right around the time this episode comes out, I will have just put out a wonderful episode with Hussein Rashid on Patreon all about Sidorak, the demon who powers Juggernaut. And uh, it's uh, a ton of fun. 
We've also got our uh, t-shirt shop up too. So uh, Seth Martel has been putting up incredible designs. We have a Polaris and a Princess Python shirt up now. If you haven't seen them, go check them out. They're great. Uh, so let's go as we're doing uh, the outros. Where can people find you and what do you have coming up? We'll go in the order of uh, Renee, Bob, and then Anas. Okay, cool. Well, first of all, thanks, guys. I've had a great time talking with you. It was a lot of fun. Um, well, you can find me several places. I'm on Facebook under Eva Renee Witterstatter. You can follow me there. And I am on Instagram under Eva Inc. Renee. That's spelled E-V-A-I-N-K Renee, R-E-N-E-E. -E. Uh, my website is uh, Eva Inc. Artist Group, E-V-A-I-N-K. And um, let's see, where else can you find me? Um, I am on Instagram. I said Instagram. I'm on Twitter also under R Witterstatter, no H. And um, what I'm working, and you'll see me at conventions all over the place with the artists or actors that, that I work with. So uh, look for a convention near you. And if you have a convention in your area, feel free to reach out to me because we're always looking for new ones. And uh, my newest book, like I said, is uh, Cloaked Crusader, George Washington in Comics and Pop Culture coinciding with the 100th anniversary of the first monthly comic book. And our gallery show for that is October 5th at the Francis Tavern Museum in Manhattan. So come and join us that night. It's going to be fun. Renee, I'm so impressed by you. And just uh, this is an unnecessary shout out. But when I was growing up reading the books, uh, even the ones that came out from before I started reading, I would always pay attention to the names of women that were in the books because it was so rare. And I was always so impressed by people who broke into this very male-dominated industry. But you are a powerhouse. You've done so much and are so talented. Uh, and the, the career you've built beyond comics. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually quite in awe. I'm looking forward to reading some of your books and getting to know you better. Uh, what a joy to spend this time with you today. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, Bob, go ahead. Hey, so, uh, hey, as always, this has been an absolute pleasure. I had a really good time. Uh, if you are looking for me on the internet, get ready it's all a big mess uh i'm on twitter at robot jq i'm on instagram as king of smaster don't ask uh i'm on <laughs> tumblr do you use that a1 courier go figure i'm on facebook i don't use facebook it's a garbage website but i have a facebook page bob q draws i think uh bob q draws is my website if you are looking for my artwork if you say this is september 15th um yeah sadly uh knights of x has ended but i hope you enjoyed it um and then i have no idea if there's going to have been an announcement about the graphic novel graphic novel coming 2023 i think maybe we'll see if if i blew an opportunity to plug it that's on me um yeah i think i think that's everything i think that's everything i can talk about uh bob my love for your pencils is, is exceeded only by my love for your sarcasm so thank you so much for <laughs> I, had a, I had a blast hanging with you again today oh uh, every time for me as well uh, yeah. private message and let me know where you got your shirt <laughs> where did i get this shirt anyway, bob is yeah, wearing I'll... uh bob is wearing a skeleton dabbing shirt it's uh yeah, yeah. Cool. and then uh and then lastly and us um thank you again for having me i <clears throat> this is like a double feature for me here being on two episodes back to back such a fun time uh for anyone interested you can find me on instagram and twitter at anas underscore abdulhaq and you can read my uh, debut comic book, Eleutheromania, for free on my website, which you can find on those links as well. And for next year, I have Etheris coming out with a yet-to-be-announced publisher, but I cannot wait for that book to come out. 
It is illustrated by the incredible Dennis Men here, and it is going to be my first officially published work, so I am beyond excited. Well, thank you, everybody. I had a wonderful time. As always, I'm leaving with a giant smile. So uh, thank you. This was a, this was an absolute blast. And uh, we'll see you all uh, back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.